Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from Ephesians chapter 5. In the Pew Bible, it's on page uh, 1041, 1041. Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what is the will of, what the will of the Lord is. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us this morning, it encourages us to have you here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, for those of us that are members here, uh, we recognize the fact that many of our members are away this weekend. We probably have more members away this weekend than any other weekend in the year. And over a hundred will be together at Fall Creek Falls this morning, and they'll be worshiping God together. And several others, I'm sure, taking trips and camping various places. Uh, it's wonderful to have a church family. It's wonderful to know that the family is worshiping God wherever they are. And that's what ought to be our goal in life, is always worship and serve God. Nothing comes before that. As we think about Memorial Day tomorrow, and this being Memorial Day weekend tonight, We'll look at two or three examples in the scriptures. There are many in the scriptures, but we'll look at two or three examples where the Lord said, I want you to remember this. And so I hope you'll be back this evening at six o'clock and we'll look at those things. Watch your step. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we seen signs where we walk along and maybe there's a step up or a step down that, that maybe might be easy to, to not see? And we'll see a sign that says, watch your step. You know, it's important for us to know where we place our steps in life, but yet we live in a world of extreme sports, of extreme hobbies. We live in a world where living an extreme life is exalted and praised in almost every aspect. And let's face it, it's just not real cool today to go around saying, be careful. What is a lot more readily accepted today is, hey, push the limits, live to an extreme See how far you can go on the edge. Now there are some ways in life that extremes might be good. But friends, when we're talking about our life and our soul and our conduct, our daily behavior, extreme living is not wise. Instead, what the Lord would say to us over and over is He would say, I want to talk to you about your walk, about your conduct. You know, it is important that we place our steps carefully. Let me remind you where we've been in recent weeks in our study in Ephesians, and then I want to begin by giving you an illustration to think about our conduct and where we place our steps. You know, if we, and if you have your Bible open there, it'll be about page 1040 in your pew Bible. It's Ephesians, the fourth chapter. If you remember, we glanced back at verse 17 where the Lord said to them, I don't want you to walk as the Gentiles walk. Their mind was futile. Their understanding was darkened. They found themselves in, in sin, separated from God. What they needed to do was learn Christ, as we see there in verse 20. 
If we truly learn Christ, we're not going to walk like the Gentiles. We're going to walk in a different way. And that brings us to the fifth chapter in verse 1. Be an imitator of God. And as we imitate God, he says in verse 2, walk in light. But then as we skip down to verse 8, he says, walk in, I'm sorry, verse 2 was walk in light. Verse 8 he says, Verse 2 is walk in love. Verse 8 is walk in light. I'm going to figure out how to walk in here in just a minute. So let's go back over that. He's saying, let's not walk as the Gentiles walk. Let's walk in love, imitators of God. Let's walk in light, bearing the fruit of the Spirit of goodness and truth and righteousness. And then that brings us to today's reading that's just been capably read for us, where he says, now, I want you to walk circumspectly. I love the King James and the New King James Version for using that word, even though it's not a word we very often use in our daily language. But it's a word that defines the idea of walking carefully. It's the idea of carefully placing your steps so that you do not misstep. Now think about it. Why did he say this at this point? He said, here's the way I don't want you to walk. Here's the way I do want you to walk. Now that you're walking in the love and in the light, carefully place your steps so that you will stay in that way. Many of us probably heard the news this past Wednesday, the sad news of Turner Stadium. It's the second time in a month in Major League Baseball that an individual has fallen. And both times they've fallen from escalators and they have died as a result of the fall. We so often signs in, pu in public places see the signs, watch your step, and perhaps we take them for granted, not thinking about the fact that a misstep can actually take our life. But there was something about this misstep that took the life of this individual that I just want to read to you, a statement that was released by his parents, a statement that I do not I wish to make any judgment upon these people. I simply want to use it as an illustration for you and I to think about our steps. You see, the parents made this statement. According to his friends, there's a 25-year-old young man that, that passed away as a result of the fall. According to his friends, this is his parents saying this, according to his friends, he had a couple of beers, like most people at a game. They were leaving and having fun, and he did what he does at home. He tried to slide down the rail. Unfortunately, he just slipped over. Now, any of us that have gone to Major League Baseball games, you'll know that most parks have a policy that after the seventh inning, the escalators are turned off. Now, maybe you've thought how inconvenient that is. We escalate ourselves up, and then at the time we need help getting back down, we're tired, the end of the game, and they cut off the escalators. Why do they do that? They do it because of drunkenness. It's much safer for the drunk to have to walk down the steps than to have the rails moving because they'll lean on the rails or sit on the rails and fall off. And so the inconvenience to the rest of society to have to walk down the steps that are sober is because of the drunken acceptance of our society. Now, I'd like to read to you the rest of the statement that's made by these parents. And it's a challenging statement for all of us as we think about what does it really mean as Christians to carefully place our steps. Please note this. His parents said, they called him by name and said, 
He was a very strong Christian person from a strong Christian family who had never been in any trouble. He really cared about people and went out of his way to help anyone who needed it. We realize most parents will say that about their child, but he was honestly, but that was honestly how he was. He was a very strong, faithful Christian. Is that the conduct of a very strong Christian? When someone says, Lord, I give my life to you and I'm going to carefully place my steps as you want me to walk, I'm going to be at Wednesday night's game. Maybe where he goes, they don't have a Wednesday night service. Doing what everybody else there does according to his parents. Most everybody else there has two beers. Now under the influence of alcohol, tries to slide down an escalator and falls. And the description of his parents is, he's a very strong Christian. Friends, we're losing our compass as a society and even religious people. We as a whole in America do not have religious people that believe we ought to carefully place our steps. Did you notice, did you notice what his parents defined as Christianity? His parents defined as Christianity. He's not been in trouble and he was good to people. That's not Christianity. That alone does not define a very strong Christian. There are people that have never named, the Christ, named Christ as their Savior who have not gotten in trouble talking about criminally and they're good to other people. Isn't it interesting that the text that was just so capably read for us, I hope you have your Bible open, look down to the very next verse in 18. This carefully placing our steps leads us to verse 18 and notice what verse 18 says. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Carefully place your steps. Redeem the time. Understand what God's will is. That's those three verses. Why? You're going to need it when it comes to -to day-to-day application like this. Don't get drunk. You mean someone who would get drunk would not be carefully placing their steps? I wonder where this young man learned that having a few beers was acceptable for a Christian. All I know is this article. His mom and dad must believe that having a few beers is acceptable. Because they just said that he was a very strong Christian and said that he was the one that was just out with a few friends having a few beers at a game. 
Isn't it interesting when you take that sad reality and you lay it down carefully in the scriptures of Romans, the 14th chapter and verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I wonder which friends God will hold accountable for that young man's life because they encouraged him to go out and to have some beers with them. I wonder if his parents encouraged him to believe that, hey, there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of alcohol. There's nothing wrong with a few beers. But yet he died in a drunken state according to investigations. Friends, God doesn't simply say at that point, what a tragedy, no one's responsible. Have you noticed in our society when there's a tragedy... All of a sudden, people want to alleviate everybody of responsibility. Who's going to stand up and say, someone's responsible for this? Which friends of you are responsible? Which parents? Which church is it that teaches you can be a strong Christian and go out and have some beer? It's not the church that teaches Ephesians 5 to walk circumspectly, to place our steps carefully. We're living in a society where society has bought hook, line, and sinker into the lie that nothing is wrong with a little alcohol. Listen to what God says in Acts the 20th chapter. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, coming back to our text here, he's saying if someone's going to be led into believing that nothing is wrong with alcohol, they're not wise. And what did he do right here? For three verses, he's talked about wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom and foolishness. Are you going to carefully place your steps? If so, in the will of God, that's wisdom. If not, it's foolishness. And the next topic that comes up is drunkenness versus being filled with the Spirit. You can't be filled with both. You can't be filled with alcohol and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And so the plea is, let's be people that are filled with the Spirit. As we think about this, I'd like for you to notice verse 17 as we go back to our text here in Ephesians the 5th chapter. As we skip down to 17, notice he says, Therefore, do not be unwise but understanding, notice this word what here, it just brings emphasis to it, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Again, he lays it down in the context of whether or not we're going to be wise or foolish. He says, don't be unwise. Well, in verse 15, he says, you need to see then that you walk circumspectly. Now he says, therefore, don't be unwise. Be what? Instead, he says, walk in a way to understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to imagine that all of us are on this side of the auditorium. We're all against this wall right here. And I want you to imagine that there were landmines covering this auditorium and the only way out was through the doors on the opposite side. I want you to imagine that there was a manual that told us every detail about where to walk in order to avoid the landmines and where to walk to have safety and blessings in our life. And I want you to imagine, if that were the case, would you take that manual and would you lay it on the back seat of your car and say, oh, it's just a religious book? No? 
It tells us where to carefully place our steps. I want to know where the landmines are so I can know where to place my step and where not to place my step. This book is not just a great book that we pull out on Sunday and occasionally take it to a Bible class and we we talk about a great book that it is. This book is literally the manual for us to live by so that we can circumspectly place our steps in life. It's a manual that tells us how to live and it's a manual that far exceeds what we might have desires of lust or even of emotions that may drive and push us. I'd like for you to notice with me five passages as we look at these quickly to simply see the emphasis that the Scriptures places on us learning the will of God. Flip back to the book of Romans, the second chapter. Uh, Romans, the first chapter. In Romans, the first chapter, the very end of the first chapter. Romans, the first chapter, he says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, but God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. What is it that they didn't want? They didn't like to have God in their knowledge. The word understanding what the will of God is, is Ephesians 5 and 17. The understanding is comprehending what the will of... You notice he could have just said, understand God. But he said, understand what is the will of God. What is the will of God? One thing is having God in our knowledge and saying, I want Him to direct my steps. Skipping over later in Romans the 10th chapter, notice what he says in verse 2. For I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They were fired up about serving God. Oh, we want to be strong Christians. Well, are you willing to do what God says to be a strong Christian? We have a lot of people in the world that, no, no, no. I would rather this book lay on the back seat of my car. It's just something I get out and take to church, but it's not literally something that I live by. It's not a manual that when I decide about things of morality, when I decide about daily conduct, do you really think I'm going to go to this Word? Yes, faithful Christians are. They're going to go to this Word and they're going to decide based upon God's knowledge of where they ought to place their footsteps and realize that their placing of footsteps will have a direct influence upon where other people will place their footsteps in the future. Look with me, if you will, to Colossians, the first chapter. This is really uh, one of the best parallel passages we can lay down beside what we're studying today in Ephesians 5. Uh, Colossians being a sister epistle of Ephesians. And this is early in the first chapter where he says a prayer. And we're going to pick out just two verses of the prayer that he prays for the people of Colossae. But keep in mind, what we're studying out of Ephesians 5 is understanding the will of God as it relates to understanding, wisdom, and foolishness. And and notice what he says in verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul, what's your prayer for the people? I want them to be filled with the knowledge of God. I want them to have all wisdom, and here it is, spiritual understanding. We have to comprehend. The word understanding means comprehend. We have to comprehend the Word of God. I can't say I own a copy of it and everything is well. I can't say I believe it's the Word of God and everything is well. I have to say I believe it's the Word of God to direct my life and I understand what it teaches. I understand what it means. 
Friends, if we raise our children but don't help them understand what the Word of God translates into daily life, we failed our children. If we're teaching Bible class and we haven't helped individuals understand how this Word translates into daily living, we haven't really taught the Bible for the purpose that it was written. If we say this morning, I'm a student of the Word of God, but yet the Word of God doesn't direct our daily conduct, we're not truly a student in the way that God has designed for His Word to be studied. Notice verse 10 of this same prayer here in Colossians 1. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. What have we been studying for several weeks? Walking worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. We should continually be growing in the knowledge of God. Why? Because only the more we can learn about God is the more carefully we can place our steps in His way so that we can walk in love, so that we walk in light, so we can walk circumspectly. Notice if you will, if you flip over to the third chapter in verse 10. Look at Colossians, the third chapter in verse 10. The third chapter in verse 1 begins by talking about if we've been raised with Christ, because back in the previous chapter in in verse 11 and 12, he's talked about us being baptized into Christ, and now we've been raised with Him, and now we've been raised with Him. There are things we no longer do. You know, part of the works of the flesh, they're evident in Galatians, the fifth chapter. It's evident when we see the works of the flesh lived out in life. You know, one of those was, was drunkenness. It's evident when that's being lived out in a life and he's saying, that's not what Christians do. Well, how is it now? What is it that we do? Notice verse 10. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Do you see the teaching? We are renewed. We leave behind the sinful way. Please get this. We leave behind the sinful way, not because we have become so disciplined now that we can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. We have to first become enlightened to the knowledge of God before we even know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Think about it this way. Turn back to our text in Ephesians 5, but go back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And notice in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, remember those that were to no longer walk like the Gentiles in the futility of their mind in 4 and 17? Once we walk in the futility of the mind like the Gentiles, notice the first phrase in 18. Having their understanding darkened. How do we become this new person in Jesus Christ? The old person literally, honestly can say, I don't see anything wrong with this. Do you believe that? Yes. That's what the scripture is teaching. We see immorality as Christians that have an understanding that is formed by the will of God. And we say, yes, it's wrong. Don't you understand? And you could just list sins of immorality. Don't you understand these are wrong? Those living in darkness, their understanding is dark and say, no, I don't see that at all. Friends, what I must realize this morning is that oftentimes when individuals wrestle with sin, 
they may not as much be wrestling with the discipline as much as they're wrestling with knowledge. And that's why it's so important for us to say, I want to learn what the will of the Lord is. This morning, I ask you, are you honest enough in your relationship with God? Are you honest enough in your relationship with God as you're walking along and a topic comes up? Are you willing to say, I want to learn everything that is the Lord's will on this topic? You see, it's not right. It's not spiritual integrity to say, here's what I believe on the topic, and I believe I can find verses to justify it. Well, what have I done? I've set out to prove David Shannon's will. David Shannon's will can't get me to heaven and it can't get you to heaven. But if we're going to walk circumspectly, knowing what is the will of the Lord, then we open and we look carefully. We look carefully at what is taught, And we look carefully at how our life and our actions could affect others because we could be a stumbling block to cause someone else to lose not only their life, but to lose their soul. As we extend the invitation, I'd like for you to look back to our text in Ephesians 5, and I'd like for you to look in the middle there. We've skipped over it just a moment ago. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, if you have your Bible open, you see that 15, 16, 17 is one sentence. So this redeeming the time doesn't stand on its own. He's talking about if if we're going to see that we walk circumspectly and we don't want to be fools, we want to live as a wise person, what are we going to do? We're going to redeem the time. All of us have walked into businesses often and we've seen something that we believed that we wanted or needed badly enough that we would pay the price for it. One idea, one general principle of redeeming is to say, I'll pay the price for that. Are you willing to redeem the time? Well, why would we redeem the time? Because every moment that God gives us as Christians is an opportunity that He gives us to walk carefully in His will and to use that as a good example and life of service to reach out to others. But notice, the rest of this verse, he says the days are evil. Satan is just as much in competition for time as we are. Because Satan probably believes that the more time he can have, the more souls that he can pull into his wickedness. And so you have Christianity saying, I want to use my time today to say a good word for the Lord, to magnify Jesus. Satan is over here saying, I want to use this same day in a wicked way. And I want to exalt and make wickedness look so beautiful. Let me give you just two quick examples. We got camp coming up in in about a week. That ought to be a spiritual experience that builds our young people up. When individuals graduate and they're asked what stood out in your life as as a blessing, as a positive experience, the youth here oftentimes list two things. They list camps and our retreats and mission trips. 
And just a little over as a church family, we'll take a mission trip. Now notice, these are opportunities where we as a congregation are saying, we're going to use our time in this way. Now you know what we could do? We could just say we're not doing it. Sorry, we don't want to use our time this year having summer camp. Sorry, kids. It, it encourages the adults that are there. Sorry, adults, we're not going to do it. Call Green, but, uh, Green back up in, uh, in East Tennessee. Hey, I know that we planned on using our time. We were going to redeem that week to do mission work, to knock on doors in your community. We're not going to redeem our time that way anymore. We, we don't want to speak a good word for Jesus in your community. We're not going to do that this year. Do you think maybe a soul might be reached if we go? Do you think if we don't go, that same soul may not be reached? What do we see here? We see a very real illustration that we can use our time to help combat evil. Or we can let opportunities pass. And when we let opportunities pass, we've joined forces with Satan to say, we'll let wickedness be exalted during that time. You see, when you and I really think about carefully placing our steps, one of the things we have to be careful with is every day. Time is not bought back. We don't rewind time. When many opportunities are gone, they never surface again. Your co-workers that you're thinking, sometime I'm going to invite them to church. Well, you may not be working with them that much longer. There'll come a day that you won't work with them any longer. This is an opportunity you have now. My neighbor, I've been wanting to say something to my neighbor. Well, there'll come a time that you can't say something to that neighbor In Philippians 1, when Paul talked about the difference in having time and not having time any longer. Let's go to this next screen. Notice as he says, for me to live is Christ. You see, for him to have time on this earth was going to be a benefit to the cause of Christ. Now, because he lived like that, once he no longer had time on this earth, it was his benefit to die. This morning... I beg you, let's all be serious about being careful how we watch our steps. You know, I grew up out in the country almost every day on either horses or motorcycles or something by some form of definition pretty extreme. I can't tell you the number of times I heard my grandmother say, Ricky can imagine hearing this, I've heard my grandmother say thousands of times, David, you be careful. David, you be careful. You know, sometimes there's a side of us that says they don't know what they're talking about. I don't know how you look at your life spiritually. I don't know if you realize that what God is saying to us is, will you be careful? Will you be careful where you place your steps because you can easily get off course and step the wrong way? This morning, how are you walking? How are you placing your steps?
careful so that it'll help your own soul and your own relationship with the Lord and also the example that you are to others? Are you redeeming the time? We can only do that when we know what the will of the Lord is. If you know what the will of the Lord is to be saved and you're not saved, would you do that this morning as a believer, willing to repent of sins, confess before me and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? Maybe you've been saved and somewhere along the way you've lost the way. You've stopped walking carefully and you want to come back this morning and you want to walk carefully. You want to be able to say as Paul, for me to live is Christ. I'm going to take advantage of the opportunities to exalt the Lord by the way I place my steps in life. Our soul will be blessed for it. And those that know us and watch us will be blessed for it. If we can help you.